All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Welcome. If you're new to First Free Church, I'm Adam, one of the pastors here, and so glad you decided to worship God with us this morning. Great time in worship with the praise team. They did an awesome job. We're so thankful for them. And now we get to just continue worshiping God by looking at his word together. And we're taking a break right now from our study in the book of Acts to go through a Christmas season. We're calling the impact of Christmas. Last week, we looked at Christmas and the cross, and we're kind of exploring Christmas through different lenses than you usually see. We sometimes think of Christmas in terms of gifts and decorations and all of the, the holiday things, the foods that we enjoy, get-togethers with family that we may enjoy or may not enjoy. That's up to you. But all those things that we think about Christmas, what about some other lenses, some other ways to look at it? And so we looked at it through the lens of the cross last week, and we saw the humility of Jesus. We saw the sacrifice of Jesus. We saw the call to repentance, um, that, which is one of the reasons why he came to this earth. And we're going to explore a different lens this week, which I'll share in a little bit. But before I do that, <clears throat> let me just ask a question that I think is appropriate for the Christmas time. And I want you to really think about this. Um, think about this question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Why 2,000 years ago did Jesus come to this earth as a little baby to live here? Like, what were, what were his reasons? What were his purposes? What were his motivations? And there are lots of good answers that we can give to that. I'll share a few of them with you. He, we talked last week. He came to invite us to repent of our sin, to turn from our sin and turn to God. He came to preach the good news of God's kingdom to us. He came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He came to offer the free gift of eternal life that we can spend eternity with God and, and be with him forever. And all of those are true reasons. But there's an aspect of Jesus' mission here of why he came that we celebrate on Christmas Day, him coming to this earth. And why did he come here? It wasn't just for those things. There's something more to it. And I want to just tease that out a little bit. See, I think many Christians view the Christian life as being about rules now and reward later. Like, I've got to do things a certain way. I've got to put up with this cruel world for a while and this awful life that I've got, just challenges and difficulties left and right. But man, eternity's coming. And I sometimes hear Christians talk that way. Like, well, you know, in the end, it's going to be all great. It's all hope for the future, hope for the future. But that's not how Jesus talked about his mission here. That's not why he described him coming to this earth. In fact, we see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some versions say an abundant life. Now notice, there's nothing in there about eternity. There's nothing in there about the future. He's just saying, I am here to give people an abundant, rich, satisfying life. And in the context that doesn't just mean later. That means now. That means now. Jesus came so that we can have a better life now and later. And he does that in a variety of different ways. One of those ways is by connecting us with God. Right? Jesus came and he gives us this direct connection with God that we didn't have before. And so Jesus makes it possible, regardless of our circumstances, for us to make it through that because of our connection, our relationship with God. But Jesus didn't just come to connect us with God. He also came to connect us with each other. He didn't just come so that we could have a relationship with God alone, but God wants his followers to have relationships with each other. God doesn't want a bunch of individual kind of children who are just sort of on their own, and then one day they'll all come together. The idea was that while they're here on earth, they would come together. God didn't just want individual followers. He wanted a family who would learn to love each other, even though they come from very different backgrounds and very different ideas. Now, the, the world's idea 
of relationships is generally fairly self-serving. It's all about what do I feel? And you see this in, in relationships. You see this in marriages. You see this in friendships where it's all about if you're not doing certain things to make me feel a certain way, then I'm done with you. And that's generally speaking, a lot of times the world's way of looking at relationships, but that's not the way the followers of Jesus are supposed to work. The world's relationships might be ruled by convenience, but God's relationships are ruled by commitment, by covenant, really. And we're supposed to have that kind of relationship with each other because God wanted a family, not just a loose association, but a family of people who would, yes, have a connection with him, but also have a connection with each other. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 13, and we're going to put these verses on the screen, but we're going to jump around a lot today, so there'll be a lot of verses that we don't actually put up on the screen. You may want to have your Bibles open to bounce around with me. You might want to have a a way to write these down so you can look them up later. But in John 13, verse 33, Jesus says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There's one phrase in there that I want to pick up on and focus on for the rest of our time together today. And that is the phrase one another. It's the Greek word alelon. Alelon is used a hundred times in the New Testament. And it simply means one another. And I know this because I actually looked it up in my Bible software this week, and it is exactly 100 times that Alelon is used. About 60 of those times, I think it's 59 to be exact, are used in the form of a command telling us how to one another, or in some cases, how not to one another. So I looked through all of these one another passages this week, and I was thinking about sharing them today, because today's message is called Christmas in Connection. I thought, man, this is a perfect time to talk about the one another's. I've studied the one another's for a long time. I'm fascinated by the one another's. Um, I think it's, it's something that we all need to work on a lot is learning how to one another better. And it, it's something that, that myself and, and everyone can work on to do better. And I thought, man, what a great way to touch on that this morning. But then I thought a hundred of them, that's a lot. I don't think we're going to get through all of those. And then I could narrow it down to just the 60 imperatives, but that's still a lot. I'm not sure if we'll get through all those. So I spent some time looking at the one another's and asking, is there a way that I can categorize these? Are there certain themes that we can group them together? And I came up with five categories of alelon or one another's. In fact, do me a favor right now. Everybody say alelon. Thank you very much for that. So we're going to talk about five different types of alelon, five different types of one anothering this morning that we're going to work through together. Before we do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer ask him to teach us something today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is still so relevant and fresh and needed in our lives. We will never fully master it or fully understand it in this life or fully apply it and implement it in our lives. But God, we pray that you'd help us to do a better job this week than we did last week. Pray that you'd teach us something this morning that we can implement today and every day this week that would help us to live a life that is more glorifying and pleasing to you and better for us and better for those around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this message is called Christmas and Connection. And we're going to walk through these five different categories of Alelon together. The first category is love. Alelon category number one is love. Let's read Jesus' words again in John chapter 13. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
Now, here's the weird thing about this. Love was not a new commandment. Jesus had already said, what are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Old Testament talked about love. Love was not a new commandment. What was new was the way Jesus wanted them to love. He said, the new commandment I give you is to love one another as I have loved you. So you should love one another. And just before this, we see the episode where Jesus gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet as if he's their servant. This is their rabbi, their master, their teacher. This is never done. The idea that that Jesus up here is going to stoop down and serve in that way was a shocking thing. It was so shocking that Peter said, no, don't do that to my feet. This is inappropriate. You shouldn't do that. And Jesus essentially rebuked him because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We talked about that last week. And so Jesus got down, he put himself in a low position and he served his disciples. And then he says, this is the new commandment. I want you to love each other, love one another like I have loved you. The last three years we spent together doing ministry, all the things that you've seen me do, the the times that that I've put up with you and given you grace when you've argued and, and bickered about things and been annoying at times and exasperated me at times. We all, we see that in God's word. That happened. Jesus got frustrated with his disciples at times. And yet he kept giving them grace and he kept being loving to them. And he says, okay, the way that I've loved you, I want you to love each other now because you haven't always been doing that. You've been fighting with each other about different things. I want you to love one another like I have loved you. And that's a new commandment. And this kind of love, he says, would show the world that they're his disciples. When people love with that sacrificial, selfless kind of love towards someone else, it's different. It's, it's weird. It's unusual because in, in the world, our, our relationships are designed to make the, the best situation for me to, to get what I need out of this. And if, if, if you're not meeting my needs anymore emotionally, if you're not doing the things I want you to do, then, well, I'm done with you. That's how the world looks at relationships. But Jesus looks at him completely differently. Paul later said this in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He said, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. And then in verse 10, he says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. So love each other with genuine affection. Don't just pretend, really love one another and take delight in honoring one another. Now, love that is just for show isn't really love, right? If it's just to make a demonstration of being loving, it's not really love. I once knew two Christian leaders who were fairly well-known, and behind the scenes, they could not stand each other. And um, I knew both of them relatively well, and so I I knew this this disagreement that they had and their issues with each other. But it was really interesting because every time they had a speaking engagement where both of them would happen to be speaking on the same stage at some point, they they would speak in such glowing terms of each other that you would think they were good friends. In fact, they would, they would puff the other one up with all kinds of statements that I knew to be entirely false. They would say things like, this man is practically a mentor to me. And they would go on and on about how impressed they were with him and how wonderful. I mean, they, it was almost a game to them to see how much they could lie about their feelings of the other person in front of the audience. And at the same time, probably little subtle jabs at their opponent that they knew was, did not believe this. And then the audience thinks, oh, what a wonderful person. And these guys are great and, and all of that. But that's not really love. They were honoring each other, yes, but it didn't come from a place of genuine affection. And so we don't want to just love for show. 
Paul says you need to really love. Everything that's said should be true, but not everything that's true needs to be said. Right? Everything that's said should be true, but not everything that's true needs to be said. Those men absolutely could have come up with some things that were both true and loving to say about each other instead of just faking it. That's why Paul says, don't just love for show. Don't just pretend to put on a good image. Like really love each other with genuine affection. Honor each other for real, genuinely. It doesn't mean they have to get up in front and say, I can't stand this person. Not everything that's true needs to be said, but they need to be genuine in what they say. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them, Paul says. Now in our sinful nature, our tendency is to say nice things to someone in person and then bash them behind their back, right? Instead of doing it the Jesus way and, and going directly if we have a problem with someone else, we'll say nice things in person, but then behind the scenes we do something else. But that's, that's pretending to love them. And we need to actually genuinely show love to one another. That's the first category of a Lelon. The second category of a Lelon is unity. Unity in the one another. As Paul put it this way to the church in Philippi, he said in chapter 2, verse 3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Our mindset should be one of thinking of others as better than ourselves. Wanting better for others than we want for ourselves. Boy, that doesn't come naturally, does it? I mean, it certainly doesn't come naturally in the home. It doesn't come naturally with our friends even most of the time. Certainly not with other people. But thinking of others as better than ourselves, working for the betterment of others instead of ourselves. And notice here, this doesn't mean putting yourself down. Self-deprecating humility isn't always real humility. Sometimes it's just evidence of insecurity. And actually, there's an ego there of thinking, well, I should be better than this. And so I'm going to talk myself down to lower the standard for other people's impression of me. And it's not actually true humility. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. That's why Paul says, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Think of others as better than yourselves. Think of others as better than yourselves. And, and you have to think of the people around you in your, in your family, in your workplace, at your school, whatever group you're a part of, and say, what's best for everybody else and not just best for me? Selfishly, this might work out great for me, but does it work out great for my family? Does it work out great for my coworkers? Is this benefiting other people or am I just trying to get ahead? You're thinking of others and not just yourself. In Romans 15, Paul says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other or accept one another just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. You know, from the beginning of the church, if you look through the book of Acts and you look through the Gospels, the church has struggled, Jesus' followers have struggled with being united. They've struggled with living in harmony, with accepting one another, because they come from so many different backgrounds. I mean, you had the Gentiles and you had the Jews. You have, even among the Jews, you have the Greek-speaking Jews and you have the Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they didn't get along with each other. Not to mention, you've got slaves, you've got free people, you've got wealthy people, you've got poor people, you've got people from all sorts of different regions and backgrounds with traditions and customs and different pagan religions that they came from. You've got all of this difference that comes together in the church, and yet Paul is telling you you need to live in harmony with each other which is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Accept one another. 
just as Christ accepted you. Jesus has a big tent. He allows a lot of people into his family. And that means there's going to be people with different opinions and desires and backgrounds and histories, but we're to live in harmony with each other. You know, that's why here we tend to emphasize what we call the undivided mindset. We talk about the buckets of belief. If you're not familiar with those, we go through it in our membership class now. It's based on a series called the Undivided Sermon Series. And we explain four different buckets that help us to understand where our beliefs fit in relation to other beliefs and what we divide over and what we don't. There are good reasons to divide sometimes, that's for sure. But I would say most of the time we divide over bad reasons to divide. You know, there are churches that split for all sorts of reasons. There are churches that split over beliefs that they think are really important, but when you really analyze them, they're not so important. Let me give you an example. Churches, many churches have split over whether you believe regeneration happens, which leads to faith, or faith happens, which leads to regeneration. The order of those two and the cause and effect have split up churches. I know churches that have split over that issue. Just the order of those two things. And probably in this room right now, there's a variety of opinions on that. And probably the number one opinion is, I don't know and I don't care. But for a few people, it's very important to you. And it is important. And it is interesting to study. And I have my own views on that. And I nerd out on that kind of stuff. But is that a reason to divide? Is that a reason to be unloving? I have seen some of the most unloving things happen and things be said over that issue right there. Does it really make a difference in eternity, whether we got the order right on that? Or is God going to blow us away and say, you're all wrong. It works completely differently, and you couldn't even understand it. I don't know. But should we be unloving? Should we divide over an issue like that? Some churches split over views about when Jesus will come back or what that will look like exactly. The EFCA, our association, in the last couple of years has gone the other direction on that and said we want to be actually more inclusive on that because we view ourselves as being on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. We are not here to try to predict exactly how it's going to happen. What God's going to do, God's going to do, and we can study it and be very interested in it. It's fascinating stuff, and if it doesn't work out the way it happened in the book I just read, that's okay. We're not going to divide over those kinds of things. Some churches divide over the color of the carpet, and we didn't have that problem here because our carpet was so stained, nobody cared what the new color was. Just (laughs) get rid of it, get some new stuff, make it look better. But I I know churches that have split over the color of the carpet. I've seen church division happen over paint on walls. It's crazy the things that we divide over. That is not what God wanted us to do. There's this command in scripture to be united, to be in harmony with each other and unity with each other. Unity about the things that matter most. Harmony because we have differences, but we still need to get along. You know, that's the way notes work. When you're singing or playing in harmony, you're playing different notes, but they work with each other. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants his followers to have. Unity requires the ability to agree to disagree. You have to be able to agree to disagree, to be in unity with each other and in harmony with each other. And that's so important because if we were to take any two people in this room, there's a good chance that you are not going to agree on everything. It's just just not going to happen. We'll find something that you disagree on, even if it's the sports teams you like. There'll be something. But you have to be able to say, I disagree with you, but I still love you. I disagree with you, but I'm not going to talk bad about you. I disagree with you, but I'm still going to serve you and treat you as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants from his followers. The last few weeks, we've been rewatching the Chosen series in preparation for today, which is the online launch of season three. And it was actually 
my son Jackson's idea to go back and, and binge through the first two seasons to make sure that we were all caught up and fresh to start season three, which, hey, I, I love that idea. That's great. So we went through it, and last night, it just worked out. We watched the last episode of season two. And as we were watching, we came across a section that I forgot was in there, but I just said, oh my goodness, this is perfect. This is exactly the type of thing we're talking about tomorrow, at least for this section right here. And I wanted to share it with you. So watch a couple of clips from The Chosen. Writing leaflet notices and invitations and sometimes crying. She went through something bad. I think she just needs time. And what about them? In the most generous explanation, I'd call that love. <laughs> that does not look like love to me. <laughs> no, they all love our rabbi and want to follow him the right way. They just can't agree on what that right way is. Matthew, look. Mary finished the notices. They're leaving to spread the word. I hope they can find a way to work together. What do you mean? They can't seem to agree on a single thing lately. Myself included sometimes. Oh, I've noticed. In some ways, it's to be expected. But not desired, surely. No, no. But it's what's bound to happen when you start something that's open to all, truly, all people. Zealots, even tax collectors. People who have been through tough times. People both hesitant and skeptical, as well as bold and confident. People hungry to learn, as well as those learned and knowledgeable. Let's get back to work. That sums it up pretty well, doesn't it? I love how they captured that idea of right there at the beginning, you've got these disciples who are arguing with each other, and the show does a good job portraying that many times. And then you've got Jesus saying, yeah, that's what's going to happen when you are welcoming to all. Jesus has a big tent ministry. He invites a lot of people in. That means there's going to be some friction. There's going to be some different views, different opinions. And yet the Bible over and over again calls us to live in unity and in harmony with each other. And remember that the next time you bump into a disagreement with someone else who's in the family of God. The next category of a ley line we're going to look at is the category of grace. And this is very related to this. Or did I say grace? I meant encouragement. Encouragement. It was just very related to what we just talked about in unity. Romans 14, 19 says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church. So there's that harmony and try to build each other up. Aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we're not only supposed to be encouraging each other, we're, we're supposed to also encourage each other to actually do good and build each other up in that way. One time I was getting ready to lead a missions team to France. and We had a lot of teams going to different places around the world. And so we did this training for all of them on their spiritual gifts and their, their heart, their passions and their personalities. And at one point, as we were going through the personality teaching, one of the girls who was headed on the trip to France with me and my wife, Jenny, had a bit of a revelation. She realized that she was a very critical person. 
And it's because she was so observant. I mean, she really saw everything. You couldn't get anything past her. Every little thing that was wrong with anybody, she noticed it. And unfortunately, there was no filter to keep her from saying it. And so what came out 99.9% of the time was guaranteed to be a negative comment. And I thought we were going to have big problems with this. But that training session before we took off really got to her. And the Holy Spirit did some work on her heart. And she realized this is a problem for me. And I need to take drastic action to change this in my life. She got really self-aware. And so she took a Sharpie and she wrote on the back of her hand, be more encouraging. And so it it wouldn't wash off right away. And that stuck with her the rest of the trip. It was a three-week trip. And every now and then I would see her glance down at her hand and then walk over to somebody and come up with something positive to say, something encouraging to say. And it wasn't always the smoothest comment. Sometimes it was a little clumsy. But she, but she did it. She made an effort. And over time, she trained herself to be more encouraging and not to be so critical in her life. I was listening to a book this last week, and the author said that his observation as he gets older in years is that it seems like there reaches a point in most people's life where they may have been some mixture of positive and negative for a while, and they vacillate back and forth, but they reach a point where they just sort of settle on one side or the other. And in their old age, they either become very negative or they become very positive. And part of that may be because when they're younger, if they had a lot of negativity inside of them, they also had the energy to keep it in, in some cases. And as they get older, they just don't have the energy to keep it anymore. And just who they are inside, it just comes out. And so now there's just that negativity. And you, you, you may see this. You may see this in certain people that you know. Maybe some relatives that you know where you say, well, they're just very negative all the time. They've always got critical things to say. Or they're super positive, optimistic all the time. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if any empirical studies have been done on this. That's just what this author was saying. And it caused me to think, which category do I want to be in? Do I want to be in the category where where the negativity that is inside my heart becomes a core feature of who I am and what everyone else experiences? Or do I want to be a person where there's positivity inside my heart and that's what comes out and what people experience? What type of person do you want to be? Do you want to be the type of person that Paul would say to so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing? Keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. Stay positive. Stay affirming. Stay encouraging. Build each other up. Or do you want to be the type of person that has to take a Sharpie to your hand? Now, you can do that, and that's better than nothing. And maybe some of you need to try that out today. That might work for you. But what type of person do you want to be? We are supposed to be encouraging each other, building each other up. Category four is grace. Alelon category four is grace. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4 says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you've been called by God. And here's how to do that. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. What the scriptures command is that we in the body of Christ, who are followers of Jesus, give one another grace. That we give each other grace. Grace Grace is a concept that sadly is missing for many Christians. It's certainly missing from the reputation of many Christians in general in the world. We can be so judging 
and slow to actually understand. We have this tendency to hate the sinner just as much or more than the sin. But the Bible teaches that we're to bear each other's burdens in Galatians 6. And that's in the context of sin. That's not just the burden of something went wrong that day. That's they have some sin in their life and we're supposed to get into the mess with them and bear to help share that burden with them. That can look like a lot of different things. Spending time with them, being willing to just approach them and point it out to them in a loving and gracious way. Galatians 6 talks about that. Do it with gentleness and respect and humility. We're supposed to be willing to get into that mess with each other and give each other grace when we mess up. And help bear that burden and make allowance for the faults that we may have. There is a fine line here between bearing a burden and showing up as the the white knight and saying, I'm the Christian that's got it all figured out. I'm going to help you get out of your sin. Sometimes that's how we view mentoring and accountability and discipleship. And that's really not what's happening at all. Because we're all sinners. We're all broken. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him, John says. We all have sin in our lives. I'm not trying to step in and help someone and bear a burden to make them more like me. I need to try to help them to make them more like Christ as I'm trying to be more like Christ. And so we bear each other's burdens, not as the, as the conquering hero that comes in to help rescue them, but as, as one sick sinner telling another sick sinner, here's where you go to get help. Or as someone once said, one beggar telling another beggar where to go to get bread. That's what bearing each other's burdens looks like. We're supposed to make allowance for each other's faults. That's like overdraft protection for your relationships with other people. That's what that really is. You know, on your checking account, if you have overdraft protection and you go into a deficit, it's okay because you're just going to owe some money. You can catch your way back up and it'll be all right. They're not going to necessarily reject that payment, which could cause all sorts of bigger problems. We need overdraft protection with each other. Where we make allowance for the fact that sometimes we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And there's going to be a little bit of friction. Because Jesus welcomes all. And we all come from different perspectives and backgrounds. We bring different things from our families of origin. Stuff in our past baggage that we deal with. All of those things come into play. And we have to make allowance for each other's fault. In fact, Galatians 6.10 says that we're to do good to everyone. Especially those in the household of faith. Did you know that? We're supposed to serve especially those who are in the church, especially those in the household of faith. And so within the church, we need to be willing to give each other grace. That leads us to category five, which is service. So the last category I found of the one another's it's service. Galatians 5.13 says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. What's going on here? Paul has been talking in this passage about the old law. And there were people going around. They were called the Judaizers who would go around and say, you can believe in Jesus, but you also have to accept the Mosaic law, the old law from the Old Testament and follow that as well. And Paul's point was, you are freed from that. You're no longer slaves to that old law. You now serve the law of Christ, not the old Mosaic law. And so you don't have to follow those regulations and customs like they're claiming you have to. But that was the deal. There were some people that just wanted to hold on to that because it was the tradition. It was the the custom that they were used to. In some cases, it might have had some nostalgia for them. It was a comfort zone for them. And so they thought, well, I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to leave that. And so I'm going to cling to those old customs. And Paul is saying, you're free from that. But don't use your freedom to just go do whatever you want. Use your freedom to serve other people. Yeah, you don't have to follow all those old customs, those old ways of the laws. Okay, that's going to free up some time for you. Use that time to serve other people. Today, we don't have a lot of people who 
who are coming out of an old Mosaic law into following Christ. But we have all sorts of different baggage that we bring into our relationship with God. Past hurts, past habits, past hangups, past addictions, issues with our family, issues that we bring in from all sorts of things that we've gotten caught up in. And it's easy for us to view ourselves as slaves to those things. And I think Paul's message to us today would be, you are free from that, but don't use your freedom. Just go do whatever you want. Use your freedom to serve one another. Use your freedom from those things to actually help other people. We're supposed to be serving one another. Peter gives us another example in in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Not only are all the believers supposed to serve each other in some way, but God has actually given every single follower of his special gifts to be able to do that. Now, we don't always know exactly what those are. It's not like when we become a Christian, we get this certificate that says, surprise, you know, the sorting hat tells you, you have this spiritual gift and now this is what you have to go do. It doesn't work that way. You have to work that out as you go through life, trying different things, serving in different areas. But the the biggest problem is if we don't serve at all, our spiritual growth actually stagnates if we don't serve because it's that big a part of being a Christian. If we're not involved in serving each other in some way, serving one another in the body of Christ. Our our spiritual gifts are given to us to enable that to happen. And a couple of things happen when we serve. Number one, when we serve, we do tend to grow spiritually. Secondly, we tend to have better relationships with other people. And we can do the other one another's better when we're serving with another group of people. But third, what we see here in 1 Peter chapter 4 is he says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Why is that? When you serve one another, it brings glory to God. Why? Because when Jesus Christ came to this earth some 2,000 years ago, on the day we celebrate as Christmas, he came not only so that you could have a future reward and a hope of eternity in heaven, he came so that you could have a transformed life now, a more abundant, rich, and satisfying life now, so that you could connect with God's other children and be a part of that family and be engaged with them and love with them and be united with them and have grace for them and serve with them. And when you do that, it validates God's plan. When you do that, it is the fulfillment of what God said he wanted to do with this people, with this family. And so it brings glory to God through Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's talking about. That's the purpose that we would ultimately glorify God by doing the one another's with each other. I love the one another's. I think they're amazing. I think sometimes we struggle with doing them especially in our Western mindset. We have this sense of individualism here more than in other parts of the world sometimes. In fact, there's a growing trend where people are saying, I don't need to go to church. I'm just going to stay home. Might watch a message online and that's going to be my Christian faith. I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian in the Bible. It doesn't exist. The whole point of being a follower of Jesus is to be connected with other followers of Jesus and to do the one another's together. And you can't do the one another's on your own. You have to be in community. Now, the way we facilitate that as a church here is primarily through groups and ways to serve. 
We create those opportunities so that people can connect with each other who otherwise might never get to know each other. If all we offered was this space right here and you could come here once a week and that's it. You're here for the corporate teaching of the word and the corporate worship of God. And that's important and that's biblical and that's not all church is supposed to be. There's a phrase that some churches use. It goes, real church happens in circles, not rows. And if you happen to notice, you're in rows right now. Rows are fine. Rows are good. But rows are not everything the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be about those one another's. It's really hard to do those one another's if this is your only experience with the church. I know that there are people here who have places that they like to sit. You know who you are. I know who you are. I know where you sit every week, generally speaking. Some of you have a spot and some of you have a range, a zone. Some of you, when someone's in your spot, it's a little, just a little irksome. Like that's my, what are you doing here? I also know that there's a good chance the people in this section over here don't know the people in that section over there super well, you know, and why would you? They sit over there. I mean, something must be something wrong with them. We don't all know each other in here, and that's okay. That's not what this space is primarily for. Some of the one another's happen here, but most of our one another's happen in groups. They happen in small groups where we do life together. They happen in Sunday morning groups where we care for each other and pray together and have more tailored teaching. They happen in men's and women's Bible studies where we get to know people in, in a context where we're able to go deep around the word of God. They happen as we serve together in different ways, and we get to know those people we're serving with. The one another's happen a little bit here, but they happen so much deeper and better in those smaller communities. And so my challenge to you as we wrap up today is if you're not involved at a deeper level where you can actually do the one another's with other Christians in this fellowship of God, why not? You're missing out on a big part of the Christian life. What Jesus intended for us to have that love that is so different than the love the world knows in a group serving in the church in some way. Now is the time to get involved, to go all in and say, I'm going to do the things that God wanted me to do. Jesus came to connect you with God, but he didn't just come to connect you with God. He came to connect you with God's family. And you cannot truly love God and not love his family. The two things are a package deal. God says, this church is, is my bride this is the church that I love, that I have died for, that I have gone to hell and back to make sure that I will have this family that I can spend eternity with, that can get along with each other. This is a demonstration of God's glory that people for, with such diversity and with such different views and opinions could actually come together and get along with each other. The Bible says that glorifies God. And so if that's what Jesus cares about. If that's what God cares about, then that's what we need to care about. And we're going to close the service today a little bit differently. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in a minute. But first, I'm going to give you some closing remarks. I want, to, I want you to know that if you need prayer today, at the end of this service, we'll have a prayer team up front. Praying for one another is one of those things that we need to do. And so you can come up and ask for prayer. If you're online, you can go to efree.org slash prayer, make a request there. Kevin mentioned earlier, the giving, year-end giving is always a big deal here. If you want to give, go to efree.org slash give. We thank you for your giving. Give generously, give sacrificially. That's another part of how we invest in God's kingdom. It's one of the commands that we're supposed to do, not only to give, but to give with a cheerful heart. 
And then if you want to go deeper into our content from today, there's a lot of stuff that I wasn't able to go into, but it's available in our discussion guide, including a month-long guide to one anothering. And so I would encourage you to go to efree.org slash discussion. There we are with the slash parts of the service, Kevin. And get that discussion guide, and that way you can have that to, to work through. All of our groups get that every week anyway. Okay, here's how I want to close. Normally at the end of the service, we have a closing song. Today we're not going to do that. Today, we're going to take the portion that would be used by the closing song. We're going to use that for something different, but I have some requests for you. My requests are, please don't rush downstairs to get your kids. Please don't rush out to the parking lot to get out of here as quickly as possible. The next few minutes are a space that you'd normally be singing. I'm just going to ask you to do something different. I'm going to ask all of us to practice a one another or two right here at the end with each other. And here's how I'd like to ask you to do it. Before you leave today, in the few minutes after I close in prayer, what I would ask you to do is look around the room, not right now, but after we pray, look around the room and identify someone or a group of people or another couple that you don't know very well. Maybe they're completely new to you, or maybe you just don't get together with them regularly and you don't have a super close relationship. Don't go to your friends and ask that person. You might have to get up and walk across the room. You might have to go somewhere else and find someone, but ask that person, how can I pray for you? And just see what they say. And then pray for each other. And see where that goes. It's a simple thing. It's a little thing. But it's one way that we can spark some one anothering. And remind ourselves, this is what the body of Christ is all about. It's that togetherness. It's that community. It's that connection. It's one of the reasons that Jesus came. And it's a great lens to view Christmas through. So would you do that with me? Let me pray and close. And then we can move around and pray for each other. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you that it is so relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, Lord. Your, your teaching just continues to amaze me. It's a better way to live, and it's a great way to know how to live with each other. Thank you for this, this consistent teaching in God's word about the one another's, the need for us to give each other grace, the need for us to love each other, for us to be united with each other, to encourage each other, and to serve each other, Lord. I pray that you'd help all of us to do that. Help us to make this our, our mission as we go through the rest of the Christmas season and into the new year, that we are going to live out these one another's. Bless us now as we seek to one another right here and pray for each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.